Raise your hand if you are a morning person. Get out. <laughs> Crazies. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, I've actually become more of a morning person lately, but um, traditionally I've not, I was not a, a, a morning person. I've come to appreciate it. But even when I wasn't a morning person, you know, getting up and when you're up early enough to see the sunrise, the sunrise is just amazing. I mean, there's something incredible about seeing the sunrise. Now, I'm just curious what your thoughts are this morning um, on why that's so incredible for us. And this is not one of those things where, like, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to, like, give you the answer, you know. Like, I really, I'm just straight up curious because I don't, I don't think there's a set answer. What is it about the sunrise that is so amazing? Any ideas? I'm just curious. The colors, yes. There's hope with it, like a new day, okay. Anything else? Did I hear something, a new, a new morning? I made it till morning, yeah, yeah. That's true, yes. The, the dark is gone, yeah, yeah. Those reasons and more probably, I mean, there's something just incredible about the sunrise about coming in and seeing that you've made it till the morning. I'd like you to keep that, uh, that, that thought in your mind as we, as we admit the reality that sometimes we have periods of mourning that are not wake up, hey, it's morning, but rather sadness morning, lamenting, weeping. None of us like to admit that we, when we cry, when we have tears, you know, now, uh, by the way, now that I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, been a dad for a few years and I have a little girl, every time there's like a story or a movie with like a dad and little daughter, it's just like, it's just like Waterworks Central over here. Nate, put your, hold yourself together. Come on. You know, because we don't want to admit we're crying, right? We don't want to admit the sadness or the weeping. But we have a lesson today where the scene is, it's, it's a sad scene. It's someone who's devastated. But this lesson gives us hope that God enters into our mourning, enters into our sadness, and he transforms things so that we can truly say it's a beautiful morning. The lesson on today is from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, as we think about this lesson today, uh, the book that it comes from, right away, we should acknowledge that this is an incredible piece of literary art. Uh, it's something that I don't think I appreciated about the, the, the Bible well growing up was just how full of just artistic literary masterpieces it is. It's an incredible piece of literature. The book of Lamentations is a great example. It's five chapters. Each chapter is actually a poem. And they're chapters one through four are what we call acrostic poems. And you might go, well, what? What does that mean? Well, if you were here Thanksgiving Eve, we had a lesson from Psalm 119, and we introduced, we talked about that uh, theme or that concept there on Thanksgiving Eve. What it means is each poetic line begins with a specific letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so in other words, so, so chapter 1 has 22 poetic lines, 22 verses, because it goes from the Hebrew equivalent of A to the Hebrew equivalent of Z, each line, alphabetically, it starts with uh, that specific letter alphabetically. So like A, B, C, D, all the way down to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So chapter 1 has 22 verses that all start there 
alphabetically, it's acrostic, chapter 2, the same. Chapter 3, where our lesson comes from, is longer than the others because it has 66 verses. Instead of just going with one poetic line per letter, it actually does three. So like the Hebrew equivalent of A would get three verses, B would get three verses, and so on, all the way down through the last letter. Chapter 4 goes back to the 22 verses, again as acrostic. And then chapter 5 is interesting. It's not acrostic. It doesn't start with those specific letters, but it still has 22 verses. So it's not like the, the, the author got to that point and was like, oh, I'm sick of doing this. This is a lot of work. They, they still have specifically 22 verses, but for some reason I've chosen not to make that last chapter acrostic. As we think about this lesson and this letter, we also need to recognize that the scene, the setting is very sad. It's very difficult. This letter is it's technically uh, anonymous. There is no originally an author assigned to it. But when the, he, with the whole Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek with the Septuagint, it was given the title, The Lamentations of Jeremiah, because much of the tradition of the time pointed to Jeremiah as the author. And a lot of tradition, as you look at it, would, would seem to suggest that, that it would make sense that he would be that author. So we can't say that for certain, but it seems quite likely that these are the Lamentations of Jeremiah. What we do know for certain is that the scene is the author has witnessed... The Babylonian captivity, the southern kingdom of Judah, God's people, have been conquered by the Babylonians. Those Babylonians had come in and devastated their city, taken people off into captivity, killed many people, destroyed the temple. The scene was awful. So you can just imagine the sadness there. But it's not just that they were conquered by an enemy and people they cared about were taken off into captivity or killed. It's not just that, as awful as that is. We have to remember who these people are and what their calling was. Remember, the southern kingdom of Judah is part of the Old Testament nation of Israel. They're descendants of Abraham. And God made a promise that the descendants of Abraham, that through these descendants, all the people on earth would be blessed through them. The Savior of the world was to come through these people. These people were to be a blessing to the world. But now... They were being conquered by the world, destroyed, devastated. Last week we mentioned and talked about King David and the promise made to King David about how there'd be a descendant of his who would reign over this eternal kingdom. And now that kingdom was conquered. It looked like those hopes were gone. So what we have in this lesson is not just a terrible scene because there's been a defeat and destruction, but also people who were given the privilege to be God's people. Having this, this privilege of being his set-apart people who would show the world what God is like, who would be the people who would look forward to the Savior. These people who were supposed to be a light to the nations were being defeated by the nations. This people, these people who were supposed to have this king who would rule forever have been conquered by another king. The hopes seem to be broken. The expectations horribly unmet. Now I use that terminology, hope broken and expectations unmet, partly for, for a specific reason. And part of it has to do probably with the, fact, with the season of life that I've been coming through. So I am, I am 34 years old. And what I found is a few years ago, many of my peers went through a season of lamenting that I just want to speak to real quickly. And some of you who are older, maybe you're like, yeah, that was a long time ago. Or maybe you never went through it. I don't know. But I found a lot of people that I knew were really mourning 
unmet expectations. I thought I would be married by now, and I'm not. I thought I would have a house full of kids, and I don't. I thought my career would be on the upswing, and I'm just looking for a new job. Things like that. And just want to speak to that quickly because I know that's a really difficult season of mourning. And this lesson can bring hope to that. There's something else, though, that we should also keep in mind. That those, that's the mourning that comes from the reality of my unmet expectations. I thought I would be here. But that doesn't mean that God thought I would be here. And it's important for us to know that while our expectations are not always met, God's plans are always carried out. And he is always fulfilling his purpose. So we can mourn that. That is sad. That is difficult. But we should recognize that there's a difference between our expectations and God's expectations. The more direct connection to this lesson, though, really is thinking about God's expectations and God's calling for us. God has called us. God's word is clear that we are his chosen people. Like the Old Testament nation of Israel, God has called us out of darkness into light to be his light to the world. God says, you are a light to the world. He says that that your love for each other should be so distinct that the world recognizes that you are his disciples. You have been given the opportunity to live a life worthy of the calling you received, a life of light. And so the more direct application of this lesson isn't just my unmet expectations. It's the reality that God has given us a privilege to be his set-apart people And sometimes we fail miserably. And our lives don't look like we have been set apart to be a light to the nation. Sometimes instead of looking like a light to the world, we just feel defeated by the world. And sometimes instead of uh, having such love for each other, sometimes the church, sometimes this is a place for people like, I don't want to be part of that because they don't see love, they see people arguing over stupid things and being bitter and things like that. Sometimes instead of doing things God's way and walking with God and showing the world what God is like, we just get caught up in what we feel like and what we're interested in and we do things our own way. And so, like the kingdom of Judah, sometimes we crash and we burn and sometimes things are devastating and our hopes and what we're meant to be seems just broken. And while that, when, when that's the case, we should mourn that. And I don't know if we do that as enough, enough as a church sometimes. We, we, should, we should be honest with the fact that sometimes the church doesn't look anything like God would have us look. And that's really sad. When we get to that point, we can take a note from our lesson. Because the verse that comes right before our sermon lesson says this. It says, Nevertheless... I keep this in my heart, and this is the reason I have hope. Our lesson is the reason why the author of Lamentations has hope. The reason is because God takes our mourning and gives us a reason to say it's a beautiful morning. Our lesson, it it says that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Now, this first aspect of hope actually comes kind of out of a very sober reality. The reality for the author of this letter is that, you know, God should just, this should have just been done, right? Why have this nation continue? But the fact that the, the fact that they are still there is evidence of God's mercy. 
The fact that he didn't just have them be wiped out is an evidence of God's mercy. Sometimes what we need to do is something just as simple as look in the mirror and go, you know what? I'm still here. And if I'm still here, there's still hope. And if I'm still here, and God is good. I mean, God's word is clear. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here, but I am. And I am because of his grace. This is not the end of me. Rather, what we see is God's great love for us. The words great love, it's the plural form of the Hebrew word chesed. I bring it out often whenever I see it and I come across it in the lesson because it's such an important concept of the Old Testament. It describes God's covenant love, his unfailing promises, the fact that he will never forget his people and he will never forget his promises. He will always come through on them. The reason why they were still people after the Babylonian captivity is God made a promise that he would bring a savior through those descendants of Abraham, that there would be a king from the line of David. And so there are still people, there's still a remnant there because God is going to keep his promise. Even if people have failed miserably, God's promises never fail. And so they were still there because God's promises are still real and are going to happen. You and I can count on the unfailing love of God. We can count on his promises. We can count on the way that his promises play out in our lives. When we are in a period of mourning, of sadness, we can always count on and find hope in the promises of God that he will never go back. And we can take the heart that his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. The word compassions, it's, it's a hard concept to just put in words. It's something that, that but I think we just kind of get. It, it, it's, it's not just liking something or, or doing something nice or something. It's, it's like a loving affection. It's a feeling. It, it, it's not just a feeling, but it, it's more than just like a choice. It, it's, it's this, this whole, you just treasure somebody. That's part of the reason why it's sometimes used to refer just to the womb of a mother. Because that mother's care and love for that child in that womb. It also refers to the bowels sometimes, which maybe seems strange to us because we don't typically talk in these terms. But in, in, in the Eastern mind, the bowels is typically where you have your, your greatest sense of emotions. We'll typically talk about how I feel it in my heart. Well, they would talk about how you feel it in your bowels. Which, if you think about it, some people will talk about butterflies in their stomach or nervous. Or we do. We, we, we feel it here. It's, it's a, a genuine affection for someone. And this is that the loving affections of God never fail. In other words, they do not cease. They never finish. God's affections for you, they never reach a finish line. They're never done. They always keep going. Even though it looks like everything is falling apart and seems like your dreams are crushed and the hope is gone, God's affection for you has never reached a stopping point, ever. His affections are continuing forward. They are new every morning. That word new literally means it's the idea of being fresh. I think of... Uh, when we would go, and Stella, Ruth and I would go and visit our family in Greece, one of the things that I just love about being in Greece is 
Like every little neighborhood's got a little bakery. And then you just walk over to the bakery and you get your fresh bread in the morning and you come back and you eat Yaya's marmalade on the bread and you smell the... I, I gotta stop. I'm getting too excited about Greece. Um, it's, just, it's just awesome. Right? That fresh bread, his, his loving affections, they never reach a finish line. They're fresh every morning. God's, his feelings for you I don't know if we talk about God's feelings for you. But, you know, you're like, oh yeah, God, you know, God loves you. He, he has affection for you. It's fresh all the time. It's fresh every morning. But, you know, I got to thinking about this picture of, of how they're, they're fresh each morning. And I got to thinking, why use that picture? Is, is this saying that in a way, by the end of the day, God's affections aren't fresh for you? Because, I mean, that bread from the local bakery is awfully good in the morning and then progressively less good during the day. And then by the next day, you might as well play baseball with it because it's rock solid. And so is that, is that what it's saying about the love of God? Well, well no. And the next line makes that clear. When it says great is your faithfulness, it's talking about God's abundant firmness. What that's, me, what that's expressing is the fact that, that God's Loving affection for you is firm. It's not here and then gone. It's not strong and then weakens throughout the day. It is solid, constant, concrete. Like a big mountain, it's this word great, abundant is a good word for it, massive firmness. His affections for you are not going anywhere. So why use this picture of it being fresh or new in the morning. I was pondering that question this week, and then I was also pondering something else about this lesson. I was pondering why this structure in the book of Lamentations. Why use the picture of morning, and why all this whole acrostic setup? And I realized, I think these two questions go together. As we look at this book, and I mentioned already about how the, there's, there's these chapters, the first four are acrostic, there's something else you need to point out about them as well. Chapters 1 and 2 are very dark and sad. Chapters 4 and 5 are very dark and sad. Chapter 3 still has a lot of sadness in it, but there are rays of hope. Why put that in the middle? Why do that? And when I ask why I do that, this is, this is a good question for us to ask because... I mean, God doesn't do anything just by accident or with, you know, without caring. This whole structure is on purpose. There's an intention behind it. And now this is one of the interesting things about God's Word is that sometimes there are very intentionally things done in God's Word, like this whole structure of lamentations, where God, it, it's, it's, it's calling us to ponder why it's set up that way, but He never tells us why. So it's kind of this interesting thing that we can be in right now where we have the opportunity. It's like God is saying, chew on this. Think about this. It's kind of like that first question, why are sunrises beautiful? There's not going to be like a set answer. It's something we should think about. We should be careful not to walk away going, this is exactly the reason because God's word doesn't say it. But it's like begging us to, to ponder why this setting, why this structure. And I was, as I was thinking about this, because I was thinking, you know, why not put the... The, the positive thing at the end. Like if I was writing it, I think I would have probably like went through all the sadness, but I'm going to leave on a positive note, right? Like if I gave you the positive part in the middle of a sermon and then just like gave you a bunch of sad stuff till the end, you probably, 
I mean, that would be a strange sermon structure, right? Why in the middle? And part of it, I started thinking, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's to let us know that in the middle of your darkness, God brings light. Maybe that's it. Maybe he meets you in the middle of your dark, dark morning and brings you a new morning. I, I think that could be part of it. But there was something else that dawned on me this week too. Dawned on me. In the Jewish life, you know when day begins? Cheat sheet, it's up here. When a new day begins? 6 p.m. You know, like for us, it would start at midnight for them, 6 p.m. What takes place about halfway through then the Hebrew day? A Jewish day. The sunrise. About midway through the, the Jewish day is the sunrise. The book of Lamentations, in many ways, models a day. At least in the Jewish mind, it begins in the evening, you go into the darkness, but then partways through the darkness, there is the sunrise. And there's the hope of a new day, of a new light. As you go through the day, there's many of the challenges, and then towards the end of the day, you're actually going back again towards the darkness. Maybe that's part of why there's not acrostic on the other end to kind of maybe not feel so structured. I don't know. But this book models the day. There's something about this process of a day this picture of a day that is helpful for us as we think about our experience of faith. This going through darkness in the middle of it, there's light. Then there's more challenge, and there's more difficulty, then there's more evening, but then there's another morning. And there's something about the concept of a day that can help us understand how God's mercies can be new every morning, even though he never changes and is always firm. This is a picture. I'm sticking to Greece again a second time. Um, I don't know if it's on my mind because of winter coming or he being here or what, but I took this picture last time we were there. This is sunset. Uh, it's from one of the mountains by the beach house um, there. And uh, so I was taking this picture, and I, it, it's during the summer. I don't know what daylight savings time does to this, but during the summer, Greece is eight hours ahead. And I took this picture right about 8 o'clock. And when I took this picture, I remember thinking, man, look, the sun is going down. But where is the sun back home? If it's 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., 8 in the evening in Greece, what time is it at home? It's noon. Where is the sun at noon? Look, top of the sky. And I was thinking about how at the same moment, I was seeing darkness coming, and back home, it was brightest day. And one, it made me feel really small. But two, it also made me realize that the light of the sun, it doesn't change. The amount of light or amount of darkness we experience does simply because of where we are in the world at the time. The light is constant. It's our position in the world at the time that changes how we see it or whether we see it. God's love and his, his faithfulness are always constant. Sometimes we get in different spots where we don't see it. Sometimes the darkness comes, but it's not because it stops shining. It's just because we're in a different spot right now. And just like the sun will shine again in a new day, we can have the hope and the confidence that the sun will shine into that darkness and bring us the hope of a new day, of a new beginning. 
What lets us know that for sure? What lets us know for sure that there can be hope for these sad times for these, this, this morning? It's the fact that God himself came into darkness to bring light. Our lesson from the Gospel of John talks about how Jesus is the light that came into the darkness. The sun came into the darkness to shine the light that all people need. And the sun went into the darkness on the cross to take the darkness that you and I deserve, the guilt, the shame, the punishment that our sins deserve, so that he could break it, so that he could rise in the morning and shine a new light. The new light, the new hope of a new life, of someday with this life without darkness, and a hope that there can be a light in the midst of our darkness now. If God came through and God's Son came into our darkness, born into this world, went into the darkness on the cross, and if He rose again in the morning to give new life and new light, then we can have the hope that this morning will become a beautiful morning. We can know for sure that the sun will rise in our darkness because He already did rise and He will make it so that we will rise and the hope in us rises. When we embrace that beautiful morning, it changes everything. The last verse of our lesson, it says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The translation I say to myself is kind of weak. It just kind of sounds like I'm talking to myself. It's more than that. It says, my nephesh says. Nephesh is a Hebrew word. I left it in that phrase just because that word also requires some explanation. It's a word that's typically translated, often translated soul. But it's talking about not just like my spirit, but also my body. It's all of me. The writer is saying, all of me, my nephesh, my whole being. My whole being says that the Lord is my portion. What does it mean that the Lord is my portion? There's another section of scripture that could probably help us understand this well. If you go to Deuteronomy, where God through Moses is giving the inheritance, the portion to his people, and he's you know separating. You get this tribe gets this section of land, and this tribe gets this section. There's a group, the Levites, who did not get a section of land. What did they get instead? The Lord was their portion. Serving God, being able to interact with God, being able to be His priests and serve Him, and then serve the people on His behalf. The Lord was their portion, not land. Not a section of the land, but God himself and the ability to interact with and serve him. The writer of Lamentation says, my nephesh, my whole being says that God's my portion. Not the land, not a city, not these things, but God himself is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will look for him. When we recognize that God is our portion and, and knowing him is what we need and what we so desire and need most, the reality is we are stepping back into what we were always meant to. You were meant to trust God, to wait on him, to believe in him. You were meant to be his people, not to serve the things of the world, but to serve God. You were meant to be his set-apart people showing his image and his likeness in this world. That's what you were made to do. And when you look to him and wait for him, you have a new morning. 
a new opportunity to be the people that God has given us the privilege of being. You get to have the hope of that future day and have a hope rising in your hearts. I love the verse in 2 Peter 1 when it talks about this whole light shining in a dark place. As we listen to God's word, we have a new light rising in our hearts. As we hear the promises of God, as we hear about his love, we have a new light rising in our hearts. As we look forward to the day, well, someday we will have that life we were meant to have. Someday he's going to come again. And right now he comes in our hearts through his word to reassure us of the promises he's made, to reassure us that we are treasured, we are loved, his faithfulness is firm, and he is our portion. To let us know that the sun came into the darkness to rise in the morning to give light and to give life. <coughs> you and I, we, we, we get to, we get to first of all be honest about those times of mourning, it's one of the great things about this book. It teaches us that, you know what, you can weep and you can mourn when, when, when life presents it. But know that in the middle of it, God brings light. Know that your darkness will not be forever and that there is a sun who comes into the darkness, who rises to give light, to give life, that someday it will rise and will stay, we will rise and we will stay risen with him, and right now even, that hope can rise anew in our hearts because his love is constant because we know that that sun has risen for us. It's a beautiful moment.